0: Welcome one and all to Catholic Radio Indies Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blandford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. Many podcasts point us to additional opportunities for growth and development in our faith. Our first offering on today's sampler is an episode of Inside the Pages with Chris McGregor from the good folks at Discerning Hearts. In this edition... Chris is joined by Anthony DiStefano for a look
1: at his new book, 30 Days to Your New Life. DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined once again by Anthony DiStefano, who is the best-selling author of over 25 Christian books for adults and children. His books have been published in 18 different countries and 12 different languages and have been endorsed by the National Day of Prayer Committee as well as many prominent religious leaders and mainstream celebrities. He has also been the host of two television series on the Eternal Word television network as well as a frequent guest on that network. With Anthony Stefano, we go inside the pages of 30 Days to Your New Life, a guide to transforming yourself From Head to Soul. Published by Sophia Institute Press. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: I love 30 Days to Your New Life, A Guide to Transforming Yourself from Head to Soul. What a phenomenal work. It's so necessary today. It's really the best of a a self-help book, but there was always something missing and that somehow became popular. I, I have to guess that This one is going to become even better known and more well-received than countless others out there. Just thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you. And yeah, you're hitting the nail right on the head. There's so many people out there who are struggling with unhappiness, misery, loneliness, and, and confusion. You know, we're living in very confusing times, as you know. And that's why I've always been a very big advocate of the personal development industry. I'm for anybody who can help alleviate suffering. You know, and and get people to somehow get off their keisters and change their lives for the better. But there's a serious limitation with the self-help programs that I've taken, and I've taken quite a few of them. They work for a while, but I find that the results are temporary. When life really hits you with a two by four, and we know that 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 happens to everybody. You know, these self-help programs tend to break down, and the reason is that they focus too much on self-help and not enough on God's help. That's the big trap of the self-help industry. You could use personal development principles to become very successful in the world, but you could still end up being miserable. Just you know, look at all these Hollywood movie stars out there who uh, spin out of control with drugs and kill themselves despite their success. If you've got your priorities screwed up, you're never going to be at peace no matter how much success uh, you have. I'll say one other thing. Interestingly, it works in the opposite direction too, with people who are overly spiritual. Sometimes people who are overly spiritual think, that when they have a big problem, all they have to do is pray to God, and He's going to miraculously, you know, wave a wand and solve all their problems. God can do that if He wants, but He doesn't usually do that. There's that old saying: "God helps those who help themselves." And the personal development movement has discovered some very useful tools for helping ourselves. You know, things involving goal setting and momentum. You know, and and what my book tries to do is what you just said. I try to combine the best of both these worlds. I wanted to take a book that utilized the very best self-help principles, but balanced and corrected them with orthodox, traditional Christian principles. And my hope is that the results people get won't just be temporary, but will be long-lasting and even permanent.
1: I'm so glad you brought up that aspect of those who can be very spiritual, very devout, and yet they don't take the time to look at what might be causing, whether it's anxiety, the unhappiness, whatever that is in their life, and try to remedy that. But also with God, but I mean, to look at that. And the reason I point that out in support what you're saying is, St. Ignatius of Loyola has you do that, even in the exercises or in his guidance that all the great saints say, take a look, make sure you're getting sleep, make sure you, you have your perspectives ordered correctly. All those kind of things that can help you in that spiritual journey and ultimately to that road to true happiness.
2: That's absolutely right. You know, it's it's always you know that Latin saying, "Ora et labora," prayer and work, both of them together. You can't de-emphasize any of them. You have to work very hard. Life is very very tough. This is a tough place. You know, we Christians we're very we're very hopeful. We believe in heaven. We believe in grace. We believe that we have a power to have a peace that transcends all understanding. But we also understand we're very realistic. We understand that this life is always going to be a valley of tears and a place of sorrow. And it's always going to be like that until we get to heaven. That's just the world we live in. And so you've got to be able to fight your way through the storms. And you've got to be able to have the tools to deal with those things. God just didn't invent angels. We're not just angels. We're human beings. We have bodies and souls and they're connected together. And so we have to filter everything through our bodies. And that means we have to work with our bodies. It's not just a completely spiritual world that we're dealing with. We have to work through our psychology, through our physiology. Those are all things we have to work on in order to be the best people that we can be. So yes, it's a a combination. It's a balancing act and we have to do everything.
1: Again, I highly recommend 30 Days to Your New Life, A Guide to Transforming Yourself from Head to Soul because, Anthony, when I got the book, I, I did read it through, and I was so convicted, as I I want to say, I felt I needed to really do a deeper dive with it, and I just passed through week two. And that perspective, that paradigm has already begun to help me alter how I look at things, how I look at, not only at myself, but the world around me, but also God. And so that's why I'm so enthusiastic about it, because I'm looking forward now, to, and I know what's coming up in weeks three and four, but now to take the time to do it, to that aside that one day, giving it its space to do its work. That's what I think is so important. Well. Well,
2: thank you. You know, and you're, you're doing it right because this is a 30 day program and it's one chapter per day. I tell people at the beginning, don't, if you're a fast reader, you know, don't be tempted to skip ahead. And there's a reason. You know, I wanted to take advantage of one of the most important tools I speak about in the book, which is the power of momentum. You know, when people are in a rut, any kind of rut, they have a tendency to stay that way. You know, this is called the law of inertia from physics, and it states an object at rest tends to stay at rest. And this is true for in any area of life, especially for people who are experiencing different kinds of funks. You know, when you're overweight and out of shape, you're essentially at rest. You want to stay at rest. You don't want to go to the gym and exercise or lift weights. When your finances are in shambles and you owe everybody money, you're at rest and you tend to stay at rest. You don't want to make the hard choices necessary to, to correct the situation. You don't want to cut your expenses. Instead, what what do you want to do? You want to watch T V or have a drink or eat or gamble or play video games or or go on vacation or have sex, or you know, do anything to distract yourself from your problems. And people usually get paralyzed when they look at their problems until it gets to a point where they're so big that, that things are just gonna explode. And that's a terrible way to live. There's a better way to change your life. And it's by harnessing this incredible power of momentum. When an object at rest starts to move, it moves slowly at first. It doesn't go full speed instantaneously. It accelerates, it builds momentum. And so the key to taking effective, long-lasting action is to harness this power. If you want to get out of a funk, if you want to lose weight, if you want to change your finances, if you want to you know, improve your relationships and your family, you start with small actions, even the tiniest ones. But the trick is to do them consistently over a period of days and weeks, and then you're bound you're bound to accelerate. You know, And we, we all know this is true. The first trip to the gym is the hardest. It's torture to go. The second trip's a little bit easier. The third is easier still. By the fourth time, you're raring to go and nothing can stop you from going, even if, you're, if it's a blizzard outside. We've got to apply that principle to every area of our life. When we have to, and I'll say one, and it's very spiritually grounded too, because you got to remember when God saved the world, how did he do it? He became a little baby in a humble stable. He started small. So if God uses the strategy of starting small, then why shouldn't we try to imitate God and start small too?
1: I agree 100%. And the thing is, this book isn't for somebody who is necessarily completely down in the dumps, though I think it absolutely is a remedy for that situation or or is experiencing a degree of anxiety that you just want to figure out what's going on. Now, there are those who will have certain things that are affected because of health or whatever that issue might be. But in this book, even with those challenges, it, it helps each day to feel like you're doing something. And by doing that something and then ultimately uniting that with God's grace, there's extraordinary things, even in the little things, Become so beneficial to our overall health, both mind, body, and soul.
2: Yes, and and you know, and I and, I, and thank you for saying that. And I wrote this book for for people. I, I envision people in all kinds of situations. There might be people who are, as you said, really, really suffering. They're really at their wit's end. They've tried everything. Everything's falling apart for them in their life. There may be some people listening right now. Everything's falling apart. And they're wondering, look, I'm 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 am I'm a good uh, Catholic. Uh, I believe. Why are things falling apart? Well, because you're not doing everything you need to be doing. You're not doing the basics. And then there are maybe people out there who are doing well, but they're still not feeling a hundred percent fulfilled. And why is that? And maybe because there's something in their spiritual life that's missing. And that's why there's a there's a what well, you you said you're in week two. You're coming up on the hardest two weeks of this program. Okay, we get into some really hard. A difficult but joyful things in week two and three of this program. So I hope you got, you know, you're going to put your seatbelts on for that. But I absolutely do. It's, it's for everyone at every point in your life, I think, can benefit from this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, where I was at. I mean, I am would say someone who gets up every morning and is preparing my day with a cup of coffee, some scripture, the liturgy of the hours, and I will go to mass and all those types of spiritual practices that are so important in my daily life as part of my rule, but I needed to have a tune-up. I'm not trying to be cute with that, but it's just like with any car. I needed to go back to the basics, and this 30 days, like a in-home retreat, at least it was for me, in that I had to go back to the very, very beginning and take a look at every aspect of what's going on. And as you said. It just helps you to tune up, at least if you're in that state. If you think that you're just fine, try this. You're going to find, oh, I didn't even realize that was an issue.
2: You can always go to the next level. There's always the whole point of life, the whole point of suffering, why God allowed suffering is so that we expand. And why? Why? So that when we're in heaven, we will have more of a capacity to experience the joy of union with God. The level of joy that we have in heaven is going to be directly proportional to the capacity we have for joy. There's that famous example of, that St. Therese used in her autobiography of a soul. She said, How can people who are different levels of sanctity be happy in heaven? You know, everyone is perfectly happy in heaven, correct? So, how could there be different levels of sanctity? And her sister, showed her three glasses. One was a little sort of shot glass and it was filled to the brim with water. The second was a slightly bigger cup and that was filled to the brim with water. And the third cup was a big giant glass vase and that was filled to the brim with water. And her sister told St. Therese, look, all three of these glasses are filled to capacity. They're all happy, but the bigger glass has much more capacity. And that's just like us in heaven. The more capacity we have, the bigger we can become, the bigger glasses or vases we could become in heaven to hold more of God's joy. And that expansion of ourselves, that's what takes place on earth. That's the reason for all the tough things we have to go to. So we expand and grow and grow so that in heaven we could have the most possible joy. You're living and breathing right now. God wants you to expand and grow.
1: We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment.
3: Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there, or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your
0: donation. Thanks, and God bless.
1: A prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola.
0: Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty
1: we now return to Inside the Pages. We're talking with Anthony DiStefano on 30 Days to Your New Life, a guide to transforming yourself from head to soul. The setup for the book helps guide you or lead you into that launch into momentum. It is, I think that first week, Get Back to Basics, I think is a perfect entry point because once I did that, I thought, well, I'll try this. And then each day it was a little bit more and more and more, and I didn't want to put it down. That first week is essential, isn't it? It really
2: is because you can read a book and be very inspired. You can listen to a speech and be very inspired. You can have a great, glorious victory in your life and you could become very excited and you could be on a high. But at some point, there's going to be a setback. There's going to be suffering. All hell is going to come down on you. There's Just that happens to everybody at some point. There's a 100% chance that you're going to be knocked in the head by some kind of suffering. And when that happens, when you're knocked down, you have to start over again. You have to start with the basics in order to get that momentum back. And so everybody has setbacks in life. And I wanted this book to have a section in it that concentrated just on those very, very basic things you can do To get back up on the horse, because it's gonna happen to you too. And it's gonna happen to me. Everybody gets depressed. Everybody, you said before, it's like a car getting a tune up. Yes, it's also like a great piano. Every, even a Steinway, magnificent Steinway piano uh, needs to be tuned every once in a while. We all need tune ups. Every great knife uh, chef is always sharpening his knives. So we always have to go through periods where we're sharpening our knives, getting tuned up. And that's what that whole first section of the book is. It's, it's devoted to basics. Basics like, you know, one of them we talked of was, was the harnessing the power of momentum. The other is simple one is you have to start cleaning up the messes in your life. You know, God is a God of order. From the very beginning of the Bible to the very end, we see him separating light from darkness and land from water. And, you know, we have to imitate him. And it doesn't matter how big your problems are. You've always got to start simple by making your bed in the morning by cleaning your desk, by cleaning your computer screen. Little by little, slow but steady, that's when your head will begin to clear and then you'll be able to deal and grapple with these bigger problems you have. But always start small and clean up the messes. Make sure you're moving. You know, Motion and emotion are very connected. People who live sedentary lives are unhappy people. There's a mind-body-spirit connection. We've got to take that into account. We've got to be moving every single day 30 60 minutes a day and and that's going to like that's going to be like taking off dark glasses and suddenly seeing a kaleidoscope of colors it's invigorating and when you start to move you release endorphins and certain chemical changes take place in your body it enables you to think clearly those are the kinds of things i think i discuss in the early part of the book you know they're all based on fundamental theological principles but when you first read about them they don't seem as if they're very religious but they're very very tied to key theological principles.
1: Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you were sounding like St. Benedict there for a minute, because that order, the stability, having certain parts of the day that are given to, as you said, that work and creating balance around yourself. People don't realize, and the holy rule even tells you when you need to go to the bathroom. It's one of those things that acknowledging that you are human and that there's a way to be able to help facilitate your human nature, your physicality so that you can be the best that you can be. And I'm not talking about going out and going necessarily to the gym and becoming an Adonis in your physicality, but you just that helps you to be able to get order. And that's really key, isn't it?
2: It, it really is. Motion and emotion are connected. That's the thing people have to understand. where where mind, body, spirit, You know, even the holiest of monks have got to get out into the sunshine and move around. Otherwise, their spirituality dries up. And as far as order is concerned, you know, cleanliness really is next to godliness. I mean, if you think about it, here's an example that most people don't even think about. When you read the Gospels, when you see the apostles going to the empty tomb, what do they find in the empty tomb? You know, they find the cloth that covered Jesus's face rolled up neatly in the corner. Now that's a that's a little detail that people don't usually think about but what does it mean? It means that the very first thing Jesus Christ did when he rose from the dead was to tidy up. He folded his 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 burial cloth neatly and put it on the side. Now that's amazing thing that that's the first thing that God would that Jesus would do. And of course he would do that because Jesus is God and God is a god of order. So sometimes people say, "Oh, you know, making your bed or Dressing neatly or cleaning your closet. Those things aren't important things. It's like putting, when you have big problems, they they think that those things are like putting a band-aid on cancer and that you're really distracting yourself from handling the bigger problems in your life. That's nonsense. Everything is tied together. You make your bed in the morning, you dress neatly, you clean up your computer screen and your work area, you do those things, you try to implement some sort of a schedule in your life. And believe me, Everything else will follow. Everything else will go much, much better.
1: You do have a caveat in the book about those who will be reading or entering into this that may be confined to a hospital room or they may not be able to do what may seem very overt in that physical preparedness or that searching or questing for order. What would you say to them?
2: I would say that when you're in that kind of extreme position, You have to remember that that's God's will for you to be there and that there's still something you can do. And and I compare it to the battery of a car. You know, all the different pieces of machinery on a car, they all move. They're all moving parts. The steering wheel, the wheels, all the parts of the engine. What's the one part of the, the car engine that doesn't move? The battery. And yet the battery is the thing that makes it possible for the whole car to get started and to run. That's exactly what a person is like in a hospital bed. They can't move, but they're like the battery of the world. If they're praying, if they're accepting their suffering, if they're trusting in God, then they are like Christ on the cross. Remember, Christ on the cross, he couldn't move either. He was nailed to that cross. He couldn't move a bit. And yet that was the position in which he saved the whole world. So if you've been put in that Christ-like position where you've been crucified so much that you can't even move, Your prayers are more powerful than anyone else's prayers. And you've got to use, take advantage of that situation and use those prayers to help everyone around you. They may not know that you've helped them, but believe me, they're going to be the recipient of some powerful, powerful prayers.
1: Well, on behalf of those who are in the church and are receiving that grace that flows from that, thank you for those who do enter into that and express how they're able to be able to respond and to do something, to take action. I guess that's what it is. It's taking action. It's a type of going in haste, isn't it? Just as Mary, as as Peter, and so many. Uh, once you begin to open the store and say, come on in, then movement begins to happen, correct?
2: Yes, and you know this whole area is so misunderstood. It's something that we, the Catholics, understand much, much better than our Protestant brethren. We understand about the redemptive power of suffering, the fact that suffering never has to be wasted, any kind of suffering, even suffering, tedious suffering like being stuck in a traffic jam, okay? If you offer that suffering up, you, you we can attach that suffering to the cross. We attach our suffering to the cross and then it becomes powerful. Then it becomes redemptive. Then it could be used to help people in our family who are suffering or people who are sick or people on the other side of the world. We can always join our suffering to the suffering of Christ. That's called redemptive suffering. That's called being a part of the body of Christ. So there's so much wasted suffering out there. So many people who are suffering and all they're doing is complaining. They're not offering it up. They're not trusting in God. They're not using that suffering as a prayer. That prayer is the most powerful prayer in the world, except for the prayer of worthily receiving the Eucharist, the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, that, that prayer of redemptive suffering is more powerful than, than any other thing we, we can do in this life.
1: Amen to that. You have to go through this first week, this basic week to move into week two. As I said, I, I've read the whole book. I love it. I highly recommend it. And so much so that I went back and I took it day by day and I'm just completing week two spirituality 101. But for those of us out there who think that we know and we've experienced everything, as you alluded to, Anthony, it's so rich. It's so deep. It's important to go back because you will get, if you open yourself up to it, even richer graces and understanding or maybe experience or whatever that might be, if you take time.
2: Even for those people who are committed Catholics, you know, I'm sure there are things that you're not doing that are simple and easy. You alluded to some things before. You start the day in a very good way. I mean, you do a lot. You liturgy the hours. That's tremendous. But I encourage people out there to put God first. And I mean in a very practical, concrete way. When you get up in the morning, as you're coming out of dreamlands, when you're entering into the land of the living, offer up a quick prayer to God. God, thank you for giving me another day. Take you two seconds or say in Our Father or in the church, of course, we have this beautiful morning offering. Let that be the first thought of your day. Don't think about your social media post and how many likes it got on Instagram. Don't think about the stressful meeting that you're going to have. Don't think about the bills that you have to pay. Don't think about the annoying things that give your first thought to God. Put God first and watch how God will put you first. That's a lot of things priests aren't doing, bishops aren't doing. Make the first thought of your day, give it to God. And it's a discipline because sometimes you forget, but try to do that every single day. Put God first, he'll put you first, I guarantee.
1: And it's so easy that if you have your phone right next to your bed, which so many do, they're charging it, what if the kids, there's an emergency with the kids, what if I need to get message, what's happening with work, whatever that might be, that the first thing you do is grab that phone, because the phone maybe is your alarm. And so you use it and you you turn off that alarm and the next thing you know, you're looking at the weather, you're looking at the news and that initial moment, just as you said, has passed you by.
2: If you're going to grab your phone, then there's plenty of apps out there or put it in your notes section. Put the morning offering, the beautiful morning offering that the church has where you unite your thoughts and prayers and every action of the day, you unite it. Uh, to all the masses that are being said, and and, and for the Pope, and for the intentions of the church, unite your day, your prayers, immediately the second you get up to the body of Christ and to God. If you're going to grab your phone, let that be the first thing you look at, not your
1: Facebook. And then make your bed. Yes. (laughs) In other words, start
2: the day with a win. Start the day with a win, even making your bed And there are very famous videos on YouTube about this on military, Mm -hmm. commander. It's important. Start your day with a win. You know, that's that's, that's big. You're starting your day on the right foot.
1: Our time is beginning to come to an end. I, I hope I got people excited at least to go and explore the first two because you're going to be led into the next weeks, the third and fourth. How about a summation of what, can I call it a spoiler? I don't want to spoil it. But as you said, Dell, and I'm getting eager to enter into that third week, what can we expect to find in our experience of that?
2: Well, you know, I don't have the book in front of me. The, I know that as we go further into the book, we get more and more into tougher subjects, like, for instance, intense suffering. People are going through intense suffering or spiritual temptation, the fact that there's always gravity pulling us down, there's always evil trying to knock us down. I get more into the church and I talk about the the fact that the, the, the mass is a time machine. People don't think of it as a time machine. The mass is, actually takes the crucifixion and brings the crucifixion into the present so that we are able to experience, you know, we're able to be present at the crucifixion every bit as much as Mary and the apostle John were. And in doing that, you can now attach yourself to the power of the resurrection. People don't understand that a Catholic church is really a time portal and a time machine. I get into those kinds of things because you know, by week 3 and week 4, you really want to harness not just things like the power of momentum, but the power of grace. That's the thing that distinguishes this book from, you know, Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn, and all those uh, terrific personal development people. It's because this book not only gives you the personal development tools you need, but you also harness the, the grace of the mass and the grace of the church.
1: It's actually the best 30 days that you can give to yourself. I would think that this would be an excellent book for parish staffs to use as kind of a, a retooling or a re-energizing of their commitment go deeper. I think this is also for the individual, but it can also be used for so many different groups. Are you getting the idea, Anthony, that I can't recommend this? I'd like to hire you to be my agent. That's how great you are. Making
2: my head swell so much right now. Uh, I've done a, a number of interviews for the book so far, but I haven't actually, not one interviewer has actually done the program. They've sort of skimmed through the book and they like it, but you're the first person who's actually taking these words seriously at the beginning of the book. And so I'm thrilled. I'm, gra- I'm tremendously honored and excited that uh, I'm talking to someone who's actually taking the program. So
1: thank it's you. It's working. It's oh. working for me and it's challenging me. And so much so that I have bought a copy and I've given it to one of my kids. I hope um. the
2: book is given to people as gifts, especially to people who are not so religious. I'm hoping that that people give this as a gift to young people because I really wish, I'm not bragging, but I wish this, everything in this book was built from suffering that I've gone through over my years. I wish somebody had given me a book like this when I was 15 or 20 years old.
1: I wish we had more time. And the beauty is that people can rush out and get this book and experience it even more deeply. But in closing our conversation today, Anthony, any final thoughts?
2: This, the whole book can be summed up from, a, from Psalm, a line from Psalm 27, which says, If the Lord does not build the house, the builder's labor in vain. If you want to be happy and at peace, you have to take into account God's plan for you. He created you. He's in the future already. He knows what's going to make you happy. So you need to improve yourself, yes, but you need to let God start working on improving you from the
1: inside out. Oh, excellent. Amen. Anthony Stefano, thank you so very much.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: With Anthony Stefano, we've gone inside the pages of 30 Days to Your New Life a guide to transforming yourself from head to soul. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to sophiainstitute.com, the website for its publisher, Sophia Institute Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. Or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.
0: You're listening to the Lunchtime Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indie. I'm Kim Playfern and we'll be back with more Food for Thought right after this.
3: What are the four marks of the Church? The Creed speaks of the one holy, catholic, and apostolic Church. The Church is one because the faithful share one common faith. To make sure that this one faith is preserved and passed on is the main task of the Pope. He is thus a servant of the unity in faith. The Church is holy, but unfortunately not because all its members are fantastically holy. The people in the church are just people, and therefore they are (coughs) sinners—from pony trainer all the way up to pope. Why then do we still say that the church is holy? First, the church is holy because Jesus is its head and founder, and all those who are united to him through grace are in fact living and sanctified, or holy, members of his body. Second. The church is holy because of its final end. The reason for which the church exists is to bring people to communion with God, to the glory of heaven, where all those belonging to Christ are holy and perfected. Third, the church is holy because in it we find all the means to sanctify our lives, to become holy. The means to holiness are, above all, the seven sacraments. Through the sacraments, we are united ever more closely to Christ and are thus sanctified. In these three ways, the Church is indeed holy, despite the fact that in it we find more than enough weak and sinful people. The Church is Catholic because it is found all over the world. The word Catholic comes from the Greek word katolikos. It means all-encompassing. The Church then is Catholic because it extends to every corner of the world and people of every country, language, and culture are among its members. The fourth characteristic of the church is that it is apostolic. The word apostle is hidden in that word. After his resurrection, Jesus commissioned the apostles to carry the faith to the ends of the earth. He entrusted his message to them and their successors, the bishops. Every bishop in the church can trace his ordination back to one of the apostles. In this way, the apostles and their preaching remain the foundation of the church to this day, and that is why the church is called apostolic. This characteristic of the church, however, should also remind us that we ourselves are called to be apostles for our own time. Those, then, are the four marks of the church. It is one, holy, catholic
0: and apostolic. An interview with Father Trenton Rauch and his story on how Catholic Radio influenced his vocation.
3: I was not struck uh, by lightning and knocked off my horse. I had a lot of time driving in the car listening the radio, and I just gotten to a point where I would prefer to listen to something that would be intellectually stimulating. And um, at the same time, I was
0: learning about the faith, particularly the apologetics. Catholic Radio, building faith, building vocations. If it wasn't for you all, I, I don't know what I would do. Catholic Radio, indeed. What an absolute blessing you are. Welcome back. The institution of marriage, it would seem, is coming under increasing attack and decay within our society. Our next offering on The Sampler comes from the podcast series for College Catholics. In this episode, Father Patrick Wainwright posits that married couples are the bulwark of our society.
4: Welcome to our podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Patrick. I have spoken about several aspects of the sacrament of marriage in the last episodes. And uh, one of the characteristics we see in the lives of the saints, and many saints, not all of them, but many, is that their parents were very conscious of their responsibilities and duties as parents. And it was mostly thanks to them that their children received a great upbringing, and this is why there were among the children many saints. In the case, for example, of the Curie of Ars, his parents were very devout and were very charitable toward the poor and very prayerful and uh, faithful to the, to, to the Catholic faith. Uh, also, the parents of uh, the little flower, St. Teresa of Lisieux, were very holy and actually canonized themselves. And uh, as a last example, we have uh, the life of, Uh, here in Detroit, the life of Blessed Solanus Casey and his parents, again, were very devout uh, Irish and uh, passed on the faith to their children. And that's because they were aware of the importance of marriage and the responsibilities that they have. So today I want to address what the church calls the goods of marriage and its responsibilities. Uh, To translate in a simpler language, The goods of marriage means the most important positive characteristics of marriage and the sacramental marriage in the Catholic Church. So right from the start of humanity, uh, we see that God created a first couple, Adam and Eve. And he created them man and woman, male and female, we read in the book of Genesis. And that was the foundation of humanity and the foundation of the human society. They were entrusted with the gift of marriage and given the gift to bring other men to the world through their own fertility. This is why the Lord told them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. In that sense, God made them sharers in his work of creation. Now then, uh, moving forward, also uh, the Old Testament, then we get to the New Testament. And there with the coming of the fullness of revelation and the availability of divine grace, thanks to the death of Christ on the cross, this institution of marriage created by God was elevated by Christ to the status of a sacrament. And it was endowed with a certain characteristics or goods, we say, certain gifts or qualities proper to that sacrament and to this institution that is marriage, sacramental marriage. So those who enter into this relationship of marriage are entrusted with certain responsibilities proper to this new state of life that they are embracing. And this is a great gift, but also a responsibility. So these goods and responsibilities are not something in invented by human beings or by the church. They were given and established by God himself. So these goods or good qualities or characteristics, uh, to summarize, are the following. First, the sacramental marriage is one. So there's a unity in that marital relationship. Besides, it's indissoluble. So once it has been validly established, it cannot be undone. It requires fidelity of the spouses to each other. It requires openness to life or openness to fertility. Openness to bringing children to the world and educating them in a Christian way of life. And finally, it requires concern of each of the spouses for the physical, emotional, and above all, the spiritual well-being, both of the other spouse and also of their children. Right? Um, so let us look at these uh, characteristics more in depth. First of all, the unity and indissolubility of marriage. Right. The, the conjugal love between a husband and wife implies a certain totality. So there's a, there has to be a complete mutual self-giving, which involves every aspect of the human person. That means that it involves a communion of as far as the appeal of the body and instinct, the power and feeling of the affection or affectivity, and the aspiration of the will and of the spirit, and as far as possible also communion in the mind and the ideas, and above all communion of faith, if possible, right? So that's the ideal, and Uh, All this is uh, described by John Paul II in Familiaris Consortio number 13. So this implies a complete union, right, of the uh, husband and wife, as as far as possible. So that, as the gospel says, uh, they are no longer two, but one flesh, Matthew 19. So this, of course, means a union in the body and the affection, but more so a deeply personal union. A union that aims at forming one mind and one soul, so to speak, as far as possible. In this sense, we say that this sacramental marriage is one, or in other words, unity is the main quality of marriage. This implies that those who enter into a sacramental marriage should know that their marriage is and will be only one as long as they both are alive. This is why Christ taught that marriage is indissoluble, that is, once it has been validly celebrated and consummated through the marital act, an unbreakable bond is created between husband and wife, uh, so that there is no power on earth that can ever break that bond apart, right? So this marriage bond is unbreakable, it cannot be dissolved, it's indissoluble. Besides, uh, we say that it is one because it can only happen between one man and one woman, uh, and, and therefore it's, there's one, right? Some people think, or may think, that they're allowed to marry more than one person simultaneously, but that is called polygamy, and as the catechism te- teaches very clearly, polygamy, uh, I quote, uh, is contrary to conjugal love, which is undivided and exclusive. So it is against the law of God, then, to uh, marry more than one spouse at the same time. There has to be a mutual and unreserved love between husband and wife. And this requires the exclusiveness of that spousal love. And any any type of polygamy attempts against that perfect love. Now, for this reason, there's another characteristic that is the fidelity of the conjugal love. Because the love of uh, between husband and wife must be complete, it must be exclusive, and for the, their entire lives. So this love between husband and wife requires the day-to-day effort of the spouses to grow in mutual love and exclude, leave out, any other external affection that might attempt against that love, that union between husband and wife. So they have to work constantly to maintain a lifelong fidelity to each other, right? Uh, fidelity is fidelity for life, right? Of course. So true love is, has that characteristic. It, seeks to, it, it desires to be complete and definitive. definitive, to be true love. It cannot be only for some time or for several years. It has to be for their entire life. So as a consequence of this complete gift of themselves, there, there should be a responsibility of mutual fidelity, a fidelity that must last a lifetime between husband and wife. What good would it be to promise a complete love if then we take back that promise after some years, right? So as the Vatican Council teaches, the Second Vatican Council, intimate union of marriage, as mutual giving of two persons and the good of the children, demand total fidelity from the spouses and requires an unbreakable union between them. And this is taught by the uh, document Gaudium et Spes, number 48. So, of course, uh, it can seem difficult or even impossible, right, to bind oneself for life to another human being. And this is why it has to, there has to be uh, a love that is founded on God, not purely human love or pure, uh, purely human attraction. The spouses have to desire and uh, endeavor, we could say, to continue to make that love grow throughout the years. So there has to be uh, a mutual respect, an affirmation of the other person, willingness to forgive the spouse, and willingness to sacrifice oneself for the other person. So all these attitudes make this life-lasting marriage a real possibility, right? Uh, And not something that is only in in the words, right? No, there has to be a real possibility, and these different elements help, right? So now, there are possibilities for a variety of reasons that there might be situations where living together becomes impossible for husband and wife, even if they're devout and they want to live a good life. And in these cases, the church allows a separation of husband and wife when it's impossible for them to live together so that they can live separately, but their marriage bond still exists. And therefore, they should not date someone else or remarry, right? That's what is called separation, and it's allowed by the church when necessary. Now, something very different from this is what many people call divorce, right? In these cases, a spouse of a valid marriage, divorce, divorces the other spouse and remarries in a civil court with another person. But as our Lord teaches in the gospel, in the gospel of St. Mark, chapter 10, verse 11, such a spouse that remarries someone else commits adultery. So in such cases, those who have remarried after being married the first time, uh, they, separate from, they, they divorce their spouse and while their other spouse is alive they remarry someone else, they are in the state of objectively and gravely situation that opposes the law of God. They're in a, in a state of sin, we could say, right? And therefore, they can't receive communion as long as the, that same situation persists. Of course, they can repent, they can go to confession, they can change their lives uh, according to make them more according to the law of God, and then return again to the reception of Holy Communion. So there are different ways of solving the situations, right, Um, that are more pastoral and um, demand a greater explanation. So for all this and for the different pastoral situations and their solution, all this is explained more in detail in the numbers 1650 and 1651 of the Catechism. Now, what is important now regarding this mutual respect and um, fidelity of husband and wife as a gift of marriage, uh, I wanted to quote the catechism that insists on the grace that is given through marriage so that this grace strengthens the mutual love and respect of the spouse, so the mutual attitude of service to one another and the constant willingness to repent for one's offenses and be willing to forgive the other spouse many, many times. So the Catechism says that the sacrament of marriage gives a particular strength and grace to do this, a grace that comes from Christ, who must be at the center, of course, of the family. So we read in Numbers 16.42, Christ dwells with them, the spouses, gives them the strength to take up their crosses and so follow him, to rise again after their fall, to forgive one another, to bear one another's burdens, and to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, and to love one another with a supernatural, tender, and fruitful love. So up to there, the Catechism. Uh, So finally, one of the other duties of marriage is the openness to life, of course. right. So that is uh, one of the goals of marriage. The Vatican Council in the Constitution Gaudium et Spes, number 48, says that by its very nature... The institution of marriage and married love is ordered to the procreation and education of the offspring, and it is in them that it finds its crowning and glory. And John Paul II, Saint John Paul II, in Familiaris Consortio, number twenty-eight, uh, adds the following: Children are the supreme gift of marriage, and contribute greatly to the good of the parents themselves. Now, I would like to, um, myself, underscore this very first phrase of the Pope. I'll read it again. Children are the supreme gift of marriage and contribute greatly to the good of the parents themselves. And then he continues. God himself, wishing to associate them, the spouses, in a special way in his own creative work, blessed man and woman with the words, be fruitful and multiply. So, Children are a gift uh, of marriage, right? Um, so as you see, God, create, uh, God extends his creative power to husband and wife. He wishes to create through them. He wishes to create other human beings through husband and wife. And not only does he want uh, parents to create them, God wants the parents to educate them and to form them into true children of God. Parents are responsible for the good Christian education of their children. In summary, they are the first educators of their children. So I personally think that uh, on this point rests the future of our society and of the Catholic Church, not only on priests and bishops, but also on holy parents who will teach their children how to be good and holy men and women for our world. So there's probably many other wonderful things to say about marriage. So if you have any questions, Um, that you'd like to ask me uh, or clarify, please email me at info at org. So thank you so much for sharing your time with me. If you like this episode, please uh, share it with others. Also, if you can, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. May God bless you, and we will see you next time.
0: that's all the time we have for Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler for today. You can find this show in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org, along with links to more of the programs we've shared. I'm Kent Blanford, and until next time, may God
1: bless. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy.
0: Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7
1: at CatholicRadioND.org.